If you would, please turn in the Scriptures to uh, Matthew chapter 6. We are working our way through the Lord's Prayer, and thus we are singing as our third song each Sunday. We're singing Father in Heaven. So it's a children's song. Uh, I don't know if you've picked up on that, but it's a children's song, easy to learn, easy for them to learn, uh, easy for us to sing, and so it reinforces that which we are hearing every Sunday. And so working our way through um, the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6, I'll just read it, uh, get it before us. It's chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. I'll remind you again, this is the very Word of God. As Jesus is instructing them in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, uh, Pray like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. May the Lord add His blessing to our understanding of what He would say to us here. Last week... We looked at the first of six petitions, right? There are six petitions in the Lord's Prayer. We looked at the first one, hallowed be thy name. And we talked about what that meant. Lord, please cause us and others to know, to acknowledge, to highly esteem your name. And when, it, when, when we see his name, he's referring there to everything that he does to reveal who he is. So in creation, the scriptures, every way that he lets us know who he is, is his name. We are to revere those things and honor those things so that we know, revere, and honor him, highly esteem him. Martin Lloyd Jones summarized it this way Hallowed be your name means that we have a burning desire that the whole world may bow before God in adoration in reverence, in praise, in worship, in honor, in thanksgiving. Start with me, Lord. But we want this to spread. We want all the world to bow before Jesus and worship, to honor and glorify you, Lord God. God, make it so in me and in others. This is what we mean by hallowed be your name. Today we're going to look at the second petition, which is your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. And Jesus teaches us, again, in giving the prayer, uh, how to pray. This is actually a prayer we can pray, and there are often times in our worship service we will pray it. Uh, we particularly do that during the, the, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, so we do it at least once a month. Uh, but there are other times in which we do it, and it's a perfectly good prayer for you to pray. But it's good for you to pray it with understanding. So it's a better way to think of it would be that the Lord's Prayer is like a skeleton. It's like a framework which we attach flesh or we attach uh, our prayers to it, using it as a framework as I did in the pastoral prayer. It, it prompts our thinking about God and His work. It prompts our thinking about our needs, and we pray according to His will as we pray according to this framework. So think of it as a skeleton. And so we just add flesh to that skeleton. 
But Jesus is actually doing more than just teaching us how to pray. He is also reshaping, reframing our priorities and how we think. He's informing our desires as to what our desires ought to be. He's teaching us far more than just what we are to pray. He is rearranging our priorities. Prayer and our thinking not only addresses God, our Father in heaven, but it also begins with God. In that, it begins with His priorities. It begins with the things that He purposes to do in the world, the things that He is interested in, things He wants us as well to be engaged and involved in and to join Him in those priorities. And so we see the first three petitions are about God and about His priorities. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so His priorities are to become our priorities. There's a reason why these are first. We should want what He wants. This should, in our praying, come before what we need, what we want. And that's often not the case, isn't it? We often come to God just like a child that, you know, needs something. And we never talk to Dad until we need something. Sometimes that happens. And that's kind of the way we approach God at times. We ought not do that. We ought to think about Him and what His priorities are. And have you ever noticed that you really don't need to be a Christian to want and desire and to need what everybody wants, desires, and needs? Even unbelievers. You don't have to be a Christian to want to not be sick. You don't have to be a Christian to want your friends and family and and people that you care about to be well and to be happy and to be fulfilled. Uh, Everyone wants their needs met. We all all need food to eat. We need a place to live. Um, We oftentimes need a job that we like. uh, That's what we want. We need a job to provide for these things that we need. We need a working car. We need friends. We need a husband or a wife. We need children or grandchildren. We desire these things, want these things. We desire good health, safety, security, peace. You don't have to be a Christian to want these things. Yet these are the things that we mostly pray for. These things are good to pray for. We need these things. It is good to recognize that these things come from God. But we have to be a Christian. (laughs) The thing that makes a Christian different is that God puts in us a desire for the things that He wants. For the things that He is doing in the world. And these are big things. These are God-centered things. These are things that will change and transform us and the world in which we live. And one of those big things that we are to desire and pray for is for the advance and spread of the kingdom of God. So we want to know what it is we're actually requesting and asking for when we pray, your kingdom come. But in order to know the answer to what we are requesting, we need to think a bit about the nature of the kingdom. What is the kingdom? 
What is it like? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is first off, it's about the rule and reign of Jesus. The rule and reign of Christ. The kingdom of God, the nature of the kingdom, it is about rule and reign. The Bible speaks of the kingdom in two ways. There's a notion and an idea of a universal kingdom where God rules and reigns over everything. Uh, J.I. Packer calls this kingship. This is God exercising His dominion as creator. He is sovereign. He is over the universe. He rules and reigns everything from heaven. He is above, which heaven, of course, is above the earth. Heaven is above the universe, if we can even imagine such a thing. And God controls all of that. So there's this universal kingship of God. Psalm 9 captures this a bit where it says, The Lord reigns, so let the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is He. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at His footstool. Holy is He. God is holy and He is king. And so we're not praying that He would be you know, more holy. We're not praying that he would be more of a king. He's holy and he is king. He rules and reigns over everything. These are facts. So again, our prayers are not asking for what already is. It's a fact of creation. And the Lord is sovereign over everything. There's another way to think of the kingdom of God. Another way scripture speaks of the kingdom of God, and that is the mediatorial or the redemptive kingdom of God. So it speaks of the kingdom. The Bible speaks of the kingdom as specific to His people. There's a real sense in which God is king of Cain as well as Abel. But He's king to them in different ways, isn't He? And when He's king to Cain, and in the idea of this universal kingdom, what kind of king is he to them? He's a king who judges them. Right? But the redemptive side is he is also a king who is gathering to himself a people for himself. And these people bend the knee to the king. And so the Bible speaks of this in these two ways. And so when Jesus comes, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand, and he is calling people to enter the kingdom through repentance and belief, calling them to seek the kingdom. That's the kingdom he's talking about. It is when the kingdom of heaven comes to earth and begins to work. And so we see it, uh, we see it in, um, in, in Abraham. We see it in Canaan, or we see it in Eden before the fall, where God comes and brings His kingdom to bear upon His people and rules and reigns Him as king, and they respond to Him in faith, trust, and obedience. And so the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about, and when He says, seek the kingdom, enter the kingdom, believe, and be, be, become part of the kingdom, speaking about this redemptive, or mediatorial kingdom. This is the kingdom of heaven, the rule and reign of God coming to earth. 
present because God has made Himself present on the earth. In the Old Testament, He was present in Eden. He was present uh, to the Israelites, both before and during the, in Canaan. But He is present in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God and also God's perfect and eternal King. So the kingdom, this redemptive, mediatorial kingdom of Jesus is something that can grow. It spreads. It advances. Not by might, not by power, and not by subduing, but through the proclamation of the gospel, the regenerating work of the Spirit of God, bringing people into faith union with the King. This relationship these believers then submit to the will and the purposes of the Lord in their lives. Not everyone, then, is a part of this kingdom. This kingdom is advancing, but it hasn't yet subdued all things to the Lordship of Christ. Not everything is yet under His feet. All things are slowly and surely being put under His feet, Hebrews 2.8 tells us that God is putting everything in subjection under His feet, Jesus' feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to Him, the author of Hebrews goes on, He left nothing outside of His control. At present, however, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. So you ought not think of the kingdom as a place. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is not heaven. It's not a place, but it is the rule and reign of Jesus. It's where Jesus rules. It's where people respond in submission to, to Christ. That's where we find the kingdom of God. It's where Jesus is enthroned in the hearts of people. This brings us to two other things to say about the nature of the kingdom of God. This kingdom is also opposed. It's resisted. It is fought against. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, says this, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. So we have this thing called the world, and the, the path that it takes is contrary to God and His kingdom, which, of course, then produces trespasses and sins. Following as well the prince of the power of the air. They're speaking of the devil, the being who rules and reigns this creation. Rules and reigns in as much as God allows him to rule and reign, but nonetheless exercises some rule here. And the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So we have a nature that's opposed to resist the kingdom of God. So the world, our flesh, our sinful nature, and the devil are these Enemies that resist the kingdom of God. And this resistance requires a transformation and a transfer. And so in Colossians chapter 1 and verses 13 and 14, we read about 
what salvation accomplishes for us. It is nothing less than a transfer. The way that Paul puts it, it is a deliverance from the domain of darkness. We transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. This transfer from one kingdom to another. The kingdom of Christ is opposed and resisted. And so unless God transfers us and we enter the kingdom through repentance and faith, we are, as Martin Luther declares, we are wretched captives of powerful foes in strange lands. All of us dwell in the devil's kingdom until the coming of the kingdom of God. There he's not talking about the end when Christ comes back. There he's talking about the coming of the kingdom of God into our hearts because our hearts have been changed and we've been transferred from one kingdom to the other, and that is to the kingdom of Christ. So Eden and Canaan, we saw God established his kingdom there, but it was resisted and resulted in judgment upon Adam and Eve and upon Israel, judgment being exiled away from the king. The kingdom of Christ results either in salvation of his people who repent and believe and receive his kingdom, submit to his lordship over them, or it results in judgment, judgment of his enemies, all those who reject his kingdom, all those who reject his rule and his reign. So the kingdom of Christ requires a response. These are the two responses to His kingdom. There are many that will reject because they are opposed to His kingdom. And one final thing to say about the kingdom of Christ. It is here now, but it is not yet complete and full. Present now, invisibly, as His Spirit changes hearts, As we conform to His will, as the church proclaims and reflects Jesus' rule of love and grace through the gospel, but it will be more fully visible and eternally here in the future. When does this take place? When Christ returns. Jesus came the first time as a suffering king who needed to die in order to break the chains of sin and death and the control of enemies over His people so that they would be freed to repent and believe and enter His kingdom. But He will return one day to finish His work. The work of conquering He'll finish where He will fully and finally judge His enemies, those who resisted and opposed His rule. When, as Paul says in Philippians 2.10, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and King, And as John writes in Revelation 11, 15, where the kingdom of this world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, He shall reign forever and ever. That kingdom, where we have the combination of the universal kingdom and the redemptive kingdom, once and for all, is yet to come. But there's a sense in which Christ does rule now. But it's a kingdom of His grace. But it will one day be a kingdom of His glory. So, the kingdom of God is about the rule and reign of Jesus. Not a place, 
but it's about being rightly related in belief and obedience to King Jesus. The kingdom of God is opposed and resisted by enemies whom Christ will subdue, neither bring them to salvation or to judgment. And the kingdom of God is present now where Jesus is enthroned in the hearts of people, where He is Lord over His church, but will, when He returns, be fully in place with Him as King and Lord over all. So with this understanding of the nature of His kingdom, then what in, what in fact are we praying and requesting when we indeed pray, Your kingdom come? Three quick things to think about. In light of what I have said, the kingdom is, what are we asking for? What are we requesting? One thing that we are requesting is that we are asking for God to extend His rule and reign in us, ourselves and in our fellow believers. Because we've been an enemy before. And we have enemies. We live in the realm of the enemy. We live in a fallen world. Because we are inclined by nature, our sinful nature is still there, because we are inclined by nature to follow the ways of our enemy in rebellion and disobedience against God, we request that God would enable us to more and more see His beauty, His goodness, His wisdom, His glory, that we might increase in submitting to His rule and His authority in our lives. We pray the same for our brothers and sisters in their lives that Christ would reign more and more in their lives, that they would submit themselves to Him. So we're requesting that we would become more like our King in His character and following His example, and that we would see and turn from our remaining sin and our idols, that we would be aware of this and turn from it. So it sounds something like this. It's, Father, may the kingdom of Your Son expand in me in my brothers and sisters who trust you and are following King Jesus, may I and they more and more submit to Jesus' rule and reign over us so that we continually see and repent of our sin and, and in new obedience follow Christ and become more like Him. Enable us and help us to live as those who are faithful and obedient citizens in the kingdom of Christ. May we be empowered to proclaim and reflect the glory of Christ's kingdom to those around us. And so we long for that kingdom to, to grow in us so that it might be seen by others. The second thing that we ask for or request when we pray your kingdom come is that God would indeed extend and expand, expand His kingdom uh, throughout the world. This is a missionary prayer. With the glory of Christ and His kingdom to be seen by all. Not, not, in, not different than, hallowed be your name, but speaking specifically of His rule and reign over the world. It's praying that the advance of Christ's rule and reign would be over those who have yet to submit to Him. We pray for the Spirit of God to regenerate the hearts of those who are outside the kingdom. Bring them in as they repent and believe in Christ as they receive the kingdom themselves. So it sounds like this, Father, grant success wherever the gospel is proclaimed and shared. Establish churches. Churches as outpost of the kingdom in more places. Gift these churches with faithful and obedient officers 
And use the means of your word and prayer and sacraments to grow your kingdom in communities where your people gather. Purge the church of corruption, of immorality, of false teaching. Grant protection, even by civil governments. Grant protection for your churches and for your people in all nations. Destroy the rule and reign of Satan and free more and more captives. Bring them into your kingdom. You can pray generally, as I just pronounced there, or pray specifically. Pray for our church, our mission. Pray for people that you know that need the gospel. And pray that the gospel would spread in and around Washington and all the places that we live. See, this, my friends, is kingdom praying. This is what it means to be focused on praying for the kingdom. And it ought to be a priority for us. And I have just spent probably 10 minutes giving you an example of what it looks like. You could pray 10 minutes just on that. It's not hard to pray when we decide to pray. We know what to pray for. He tells us what to pray for. We have His instructions. Third thing that we are actually requesting or asking when we pray that your kingdom come, is that God would hasten the day of Christ's return when His kingdom, kingdom of Christ, will fully and finally be the kingdom of this world, where all the injustice and all that is wrong will be made right, where all His enemies and all evil will finally and fully be crushed and defeated. I mean, think about it. Sex trafficking, no more. Political and social divisions, no more. Where wars between nations and conflicts between people would turn to peace and unity. Where goodness and glory rule and reign. Where sickness and death would be no more. Be no more abandonment. No more brokenness. No more struggling with sin and temptation. No more hospitals. No more doctors and nurses. No more preachers. No more policemen. No more armies. No more addictions. No more identity crises where people are confused about the purpose of sex and, and gender. Where there's no more greed and no more oppression and no more abuse and no more mistreatment of women and children. Aren't you tired of such things? Yes, you are. Then pray. Your kingdom come. We got to stir up our passion because it is only when His kingdom comes that these things will be defeated. You are tired of such things. You're tired of the ways in which the world impacts your own life. Pray this. Your kingdom come. Can't you imagine the rule and the reign of our righteous and powerful, our good and just King Jesus? All things in heaven and earth are subject to His Lordship. Can't you imagine what that will be like? Pray for it to come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come and reign over us. Bring Your righteous rule and reign to bear 
upon the whole world. O Father, ancient of days, we ask You to hasten the coming of Your Son so that what You promised Him as the Son of Man would be fulfilled, that to Him, our Lord King Jesus, would be given all dominion and glory and a kingdom and all peoples and all nations and all languages would serve Him that His dominion would be everlasting, shall never pass away, that His kingdom shall never be destroyed, where all nations of dominions shall serve and obey Him. Oh Lord God, our Father in heaven, hasten the day of Your Son's glorious kingdom. This is what you're asking for when you pray. Your kingdom come. And knowing this, ought to stir up your passion for these things, that it would become your priority as well. And if you make this priority, if you make this a priority in your prayer life, it will become a priority in your life. It will rearrange your perspective. It will fuel your hope. It will enliven your prayers and your focus. So lift up your eyes, brothers and sisters. Lift them up. Lift them up above your own lives. Lift them up above your own concerns. Lift them to this big and glorious thing. God's purpose. What He is doing in the world. And begin or continue to prioritize the advance of God's rule and reign through Christ, over you, over your brothers and sisters in Christ, and over this world. Oh, Father, your kingdom come. Amen. Father, we come to you and we do pray that you would teach us to pray. That, Lord, you would align our hearts with your priorities. And Lord, just because you have priorities, it doesn't mean you don't care about our concerns. You do, and, and we see that even in the Lord's Prayer. But stir us up to lift our eyes. Help us, Father, to see beyond our own kingdoms, our own lives, our own daily existence, even beyond our own difficulties and afflictions. Lord, these we bring to you, and you ask, you tell us to do so, and you care about those things. Father, lift our eyes to bigger things. So we might realize and have in perspective, put in context, even our own lives, and even our own concerns. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, your kingdom come. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.